The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, the title of the sermon, as you can see, is an example to follow. Paul is describing to us in this section of chapter 2 of how he did, how he served Christ, how he fulfilled his calling as a servant of Jesus Christ. The word ministry is the word for being a servant. Uh, deacons, the word deacon comes from a Greek word diakonos, which, are diakoneo, which means to serve. And it has the idea of humbling yourself and being a servant to others. And this is what all Christians are called to be. Not a title like deacon, but rather a function like diakoneo, which is to serve from your heart. And so Paul gives us an example of what it means to be a servant of Christ in the way that he conducted himself when he came to uh, to Thessalonica and brought the gospel. You remember back in chapter 1, in beginning in verse 5, he says, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with much full conviction, just as you know what sort of men we became, or we were made to be among you when we brought the gospel to you. Now what that tells you is, is that the, sharing the gospel with people changes you. It actually has impact in your heart. It humbles you. It brings you to the place where you realize that you are involved in something where you're giving yourself away the way God has given himself to us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me read to you, first of all, these first 12 verses of chapter 2 in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, it goes like this. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. That is, it wasn't empty. It wasn't purposeless. It wasn't one of those things that accomplished nothing. Instead, it produced great and glorious changes in the lives of those that he brought the gospel to. He says, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, which you can find out how that happened in Acts chapter 16, and you remember in Philippi, it's where he ended up in jail, along with Silas, and uh, God brought an earthquake while they were in jail. Do you remember that? And it opened all the doors. Well, the jailer who lived right next to the jail knew that his life would be in danger if all those prisoners got out, and so he's scared to death. And so they start telling him, Paul and Simon tell him, don't harm yourself. Don't worry, we're all here. We'll stay here. Nothing's going to happen. And so he comes out, and he had heard the gospel through them. And so he comes out and talks to them, and he ends up becoming a believer, along with others in his household believed on Jesus Christ and came to faith in Christ. And so that was what he had suffered before. He had been beaten, he had been thrown in prison, in jail, and now he comes to Thessalonica. And, he did, and what he came there for was because God was directing him, that's where I want you to serve me, by serving my people. And so he came to Thessalonica and brought the gospel. And so he says, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God with, with, in the midst of much opposition. Do you, have you ever experienced that when God just gave you the boldness to, to share the gospel with somebody you didn't even know where this was coming from, that it wouldn't be something you'd normally do, but you were emboldened by God to share with somebody about the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Uh, I need to, well, no, let me finish reading this. Uh, For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. We, we didn't say these things because we were trying to deceive you. 
but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. By the way, let me just point out something. This is a great verse to go to if you want to define faith, saving faith. The word entrust here is the word that's used in the New Testament for believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to entrust yourself to him. It's to put all of your weight upon him, put your trust in him. And so he says, we were entrusted with the gospel, so, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. In other words, as we share the gospel, God examines our hearts. The important thing to the living God when you share the gospel is not how good you are at it. It is where is your heart? Why are you sharing? Is this because your heart is being controlled by the love of God in Christ Jesus? And so he says, we, we did not seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. They had authority in the church, but he says, that wasn't why we were here. We were here to give you a gift, the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes on, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. You had one of those, right? Remember when you're, your nursing mother, your mother so treated, treated you so tenderly. Maybe you don't. You probably are too small. You don't remember that. Um, but it's an amazing phenomenon to watch a mother care for her child, her nursing child. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day. And the idea of that is not is this, that they worked in the daytime and the nighttime. There never was a time off for them. I know some of you guys work, you know, five tens and six tens, sometimes seven tens. These people, what, what Paul is saying is we were always available. There never was a time when we were not available to you because we came to give ourselves to you. That's what serving Christ means. Being a servant of Jesus is being a servant of his people. In the title there, you can see that expression, that Paul's ministry style is that he was a servant to the servants of the servant. I used to get letters from a guy named Ramesh Richard, who's a, a dear friend. He's a professor back at Dallas Seminary, and he's a missionary. He's from India, and uh, he would always sign his letter, a servant to the servants of the servant. And he only capitalized the last one. He was talking about, I serve the servants of Christ. That's why I live, and that's why I exist. That's why he came to America. And that's why he uh, continues to do this, this kind of ministry. Well, that was, that was Paul's mentality just as well. And so he said, we were willing to labor and we were willing to undergo hardship because we realized that what we were doing was so important for us to bring the gospel to you. And he says to them, you are witnesses and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved we toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. You notice he says, we were like a mother tenderly caring for you and we were like a father in encouraging you and imploring you, teaching you so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own glory and kingdom. Well, if you notice, first of all, what Paul does, he says, he describes himself and tells us this is, the, the, this is the example we should follow. And so he tells us in this passage I just read to you that 
The servant of Jesus, the servant of Christ, avoids deception, he says in verse 3, flattery, greed, he wasn't in it for the money, and arrogance. He avoids these things. Now, these are, this is a picture of what we are not to do. We avoid these four things. Deception, first of all, in verse 3. He says, uh, we weren't just presenting facts to you. We were exhorting you. We were trying to see your heart encouraged for you to be encouraged in what's going on in your life, how Jesus Christ is actually working in you and using you for his own purposes. And so we appeal to you as a brother, not as a boss, not as a king. See, Paul understood he was a servant, not a king. Jesus was a servant and a king. But there's only one king. We don't have any crowns to give out yet. And there's only one king, and that king is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see him as our king. We see him as the one who has absolute total authority over us. But we ourselves are servants. And so we are expecting to be treated like servants. It doesn't surprise us when people treat us like servants, because that's what we've been called to be. That is, we give ourselves away. Um, now I want to straighten out something. We, uh, I did, in about two minutes, I canceled the, the, our prayer meeting tonight, and then I reinstated it in my mind, realizing, oh, we need to pray. And, you know, it tells us in the book of Hebrews, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the habit of some is, especially as the day grows close, that draws closer. Now, when he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, he's not talking about Sunday church at 10 a.m. He's talking about any time you get together to pray, to be in the word together, to encourage each other, to help one another. Don't forsake that. That's where we experience the encouragement we need as servants of Christ. We are servants of Christ, and God is constantly bringing people into our lives that we have the wonderful privilege of functioning as a servant in their life. And so tonight we are going to meet. Now I've confused everybody. We are going to meet, Jack. And uh, we'll come here, and for, from 5 until 6, we're going to pray. We've got some people in our church that are going through some real great difficulties, and we need to intercede for them and pray for them. We actually believe that when believers come together and pray together as an assembly, and what I mean an assembly is just coming together. I don't care if it's 10 or 100 or 1,000 people. We come together so that we can encourage one another in these things. We want to pray together for people in our, in our own little flock who are going through some great difficulties, great challenges. And so please, if you can do that, be here at 5. We'll just pray from 5 to 6 unless the spirit falls <laughs> and we just don't want to leave. But we'll be here praying, so come. It's, it's actually in the bulletin. I forgot that it was. I thought it wasn't. And so that's why I thought we weren't having a prayer meeting tonight, but we are. We're going to meet just to pray. That's all we're going to do is pray. We're going to pray to pray the scriptures and pray concerning the things that God has opened our eyes to in our midst of our own, our own community of faith. So that's what we're going to be doing, and I want you to be there. Now, this whole context here in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians, the first two verses tell us the context of, of Paul's ministry. He says, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. It wasn't empty. It wasn't without purpose. We came to bring the gospel to you. That's why we came. We weren't on a, a vacation trip. We weren't just traveling around trying to see the beautiful country. We were, had been sent here by God 
to bring the gospel to you so that you would hear the truth, the good news about Jesus Christ. And he says, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God. In other words, God gave us boldness. And we had boldness to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Now, if we were to go back again and look at Acts 16 and Acts 17, we'd see this was, this was Paul's experience all the time. Some of us, we share the gospel from time to time, and maybe once in a lifetime we have some strong opposition. I can only remember one time when I had somebody really oppose what we were saying. That's, that's rare for us. Now, you may think, this guy is really opposing me because he's got a, look at the look on his face. <laughs> maybe he's thinking. I get a kick out of some Christians who are so worried about contemplative prayer because that was a word that was used in the Catholic Church in regards to monks and so forth, their contemplative prayer. But you know what contemplate means, right? It means to think. Let me ask you, do you think when you pray? Do you ever think about what you're praying? That's contemplative prayer. Now, it's not a technique, that some technique, some spiritual thing that's going to transform your life, but it is a part of being a prayer, a person who prays. We have this privilege. We've been given this, this right to come before the living God as servants of Christ and, and ask him, make our requests known to him. And so, you know, I just right now saw Mary, and I didn't know, were you going to bring a report to us this week or next week? She's going to give us an update on the little boy. We took an offering. Remember the little boy that was burned so severely. And so she wants to bring us an update to that and let us know how that has gone and how God has worked in the life of that mother and that child and that community. And so you can understand how God used you in in contributing to this. And we're so glad for that. I just thought of that as I saw you. So next week. Um, So the servant of Jesus avoids these things that that Paul says he didn't use. That is deception, flattery, greed, and arrogance. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen that in 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 the context of a church? Oh, just go on YouTube. I'm going to tell you, there's, there's a lot of great comedians that are pastors of churches. I mean, they can make you laugh so quick, it makes your head swim. It's just they don't have a whole lot of confidence in the Bible. There's one very prominent uh, pastor in this country who believes you should never say, I believe this because it's taught in the Bible, because he says there's so many things in the Bible that are said that makes people angry. You should never mention the Bible. Tough. I mean, isn't it something? You listen to the Democrats the other night and you think, man, I thought they would hide some of this stuff, didn't you? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking a political stand. I'll vote my conscience, but I'm just saying it's amazing that we're not even aware of that what we are saying reveals our hearts. It really reveals our hearts. And so we, uh, want, we don't want to deceive. We want to, we want to be honest. But if we're going to be honest, we better have our heart right with God. I, when, I, when I come to share the gospel with somebody, I better have my heart right. I better get right with God. I used to have, I had four uncles that were my, my, brother, my mother's brothers who all preached. My grandfather was a preacher, a pastor, and my, both my grandfathers were pastors. And, uh, but on my mother's side, she had four brothers who preached, but they also had jobs and businesses and so forth. And so when they would preach, they would spend a couple of weeks getting prepared for what was coming up. 
but then they would always spend the Saturday before they preached to get their heart right with God. They would always spend that time to what they called pray through. You know, make sure that their heart was right with God because they understood if they stood before the people of God and they communicated the truth of the word of God, they better have their heart in tune with the word of God. Uh, Balaam, you, you all know the character Balaam in the scripture. He was the one who wanted God to in, influence him to, to prophesy something against his people. And every time he opened his mouth, he ended up blessing the people of God instead of cursing them because God wasn't going to inspire him to speak against his people. Well, he was called a trafficker of unfelt truth by some commentator. A trafficker in unfelt truth. I don't ever want to be that. A trafficker in unfelt truth is somebody who tells you things, but he doesn't really believe them. What Paul is telling us here is that he didn't use deception. He was quite honest with them. And that's why he had to keep his heart right. Because what comes out of your heart reveals what's in your heart, doesn't it? Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Now, that's a scary thing. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. I got to tell you, I personally have under, I've, I've experienced that where what came out of my mouth, I was thinking, wow, I didn't even know that was in my heart. Because that's, that's how it works. That's how we are made. What comes out of our mouth is revealing the heart. And so I better have my heart changed if I want to share the word of God with God's people. And that's what Paul is saying. We didn't use deception. We didn't use flattery. We didn't, we didn't butter people up. We weren't trying to influence people. We were trying to represent God. So servants of Christ are here to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who has an absolutely pure heart. An absolutely pure heart. And then he says in verse 5, greed. We didn't use greed. The desire to possess more than you need. That is, that's so humorous to me uh, in the sense that I don't know anybody that doesn't have more than they need. We live in a land where we have more than we need. We don't have more than we want. And uh, so that's why we have to always try to find places to put it, to place it somewhere. And then finally he says, nor did we use arrogance. Paul knew he could pull rank on the Thessalonians. He could tell them he was an apostle. Instead, he comes and said, this is the gospel. Now, you remember how Paul shared the gospel in Thessalonica? He went to the synagogue. That was his normal pattern. You know what a synagogue is? Sunago gay means to come together. It was what developed in the Babylonian captivity. The people of God were taken off their land, off of the land, the promised land, taken down into Babylonian captivity. And there they developed a plan by which they could get together and worship the true and living God. And they called them synagogues. We call our meeting places churches, even though they're not the church. You are the church. The building is just the building. However, when they called that building a synagogue, they were talking about the congregation of people that came together. And so what Paul would do is he would go and he would go to the synagogue and he would preach to them because they allowed him to preach. He had all the certificates to preach. They could tell by his clothing that he was somebody who could speak in the synagogue. But what he spoke about totally surprised them because he spoke 
about the truth that Jesus was the true Messiah. Now, they had all heard of Jesus, but they didn't think he was the true Messiah until the Spirit of God opened their eyes, and they came to see that that's exactly who he was. He was the true anointed one that God promised he would send. And so they came to be exposed to the truth of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, who is the Christ. Now, in verses 7 through 11, he tells us how the servant of Jesus is, is to serve. Notice what it says in verses 7 through 11. It says, but we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. We gave ourselves to you because you have become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship. Labor means you work to the point of exhaustion. You're willing to put out until the job is done. It's our, you saw our labor and our hardship, how working night and day, it is in daytime and nighttime, it didn't make any difference. Whenever the need came up, we worked. So as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul didn't go there and take an offering. He went there and followed. In fact, I don't know of any place in the New Testament in the book of Acts when it talks about Paul taking an offering for himself. That never happened. He took an offering for people who were suffering somewhere, but he trusted God to provide his needs. Uh, I have a friend, Eslis Johnson. I still have him, but he's in heaven. But Eslis Johnson was just a wonderful saint. He was from the South, and so he was a Southern gentleman. He spent some time at our home before we had him out to, to preach and teach at the school. And uh, one evening he got to telling me about when he started, he was a, a student of the first class at, at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he said the way it worked was none of the teachers got any pay. What they did was on their vacation time, the time they weren't teaching, they would go and preach in churches and people would give them offering and that was their living. And he said it was really unusual. There was no tuition and there was no pay. No one paid the teachers. And he said it was, it was incredible. That place was just charged with a sense of, the, of faith that God was able to do whatever he wanted to do. We just had to trust him. And he said, I was so impacted by that. But then the time came after about 10 years when he became a teacher that they started paying salary. And he said, something was really different about it. We lost something really important. And that is that these men wanted to teach the word so bad to these young men to train them for ministry that they were willing to trust God to provide for their needs and take no salary whatsoever. But that changed. You know, um, God is able to meet the needs. We had to, I had to tell a missionary, a good friend of mine, that we can no longer support him some years back because of a theological uh, opinion he embraced. And so I told him, you know, I, I'm really sorry about this, but we're not going to be able to support you anymore because of this. And he said, don't worry about it. You know and I know that it's God who meets my needs, not people. He does use people, but he meets my needs, and so don't even give it a second thought. And he still believes that doctrine and teaches it, I, we totally disagree with him, but he's convinced of it. But he knew 
that it was God who met his needs, not people. And you know, that is really true. And that's why Paul wasn't a people pleaser. He was, his mind was centered on the living God. His confidence was in God. His confidence was in Jesus Christ. And so he came to these people preaching and he was very sensitive to them in verse seven. He had great sensitivity. He knew what was going on. He, was, he loved people. He cared for people. He knew the, the things they were suffering. Secondly, he had affection in the first part of verse eight when he says, having so fond an affection for you, we were well willing well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Isn't that wonderful? That's the way Christian ministry is to be. And then the third thing he says is, we also served with authenticity. He didn't pretend to be something he wasn't. He was himself. He was truly, he presented himself as he really was. Now, a lot of people didn't like that, but he was, he, was, he was authentic. And then finally, the last thing is, he served with affirmation. He affirmed people. He saw in them. Isn't it been, wasn't it been something this last week of, with VBS and seeing people serving? Some of you who served at VBS and you notice how people are willing to sacrifice, expend all that energy and because they want to pour Christ into others. Isn't that wonderful? We have some real servants of God in this assembly. Um, Robin Beck is undergoing some real difficulties. She has a little outbreak of cancer, not a little one, a big one, and it's serious. This, this lady I've known for a long time. You're not here, are you? Uh, and she, I have never seen a woman who is so selfless and so willing to serve others. It was hard for her to give up a couple of ministries she has because she has this cancer and it's really taking, having a, an effect on her. She's one of the ones we want to pray for tonight. And uh, she is a, a true servant of God. And so Paul says that he was affectionate and authentic and he affirmed. He, he ministered, he served with affirmation. He actually didn't think he had to withhold from people. I, I, one year, this is probably 10 years ago, we've been in existence for, I don't know, whatever it is, 21 years or something. About 10 years ago, I thought it'd be good for us to have a servant of the year. And so I chose, we chose uh, Robin. Somebody got offended by that. They came to me and says, you think that's really consistent with grace? Yes, I do. I think it's consistent with grace for you to affirm your brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to lay down their lives for each other. I love to see people serving one another. It's the most amazing thing when somebody cares so much about someone they're willing to sacrifice in order to meet their needs. And I see it happening all the time. I was... I was telling Byrne, I was so impressed to hear this. My wife was telling me this about Byrne's daughter who goes over to Robin's house and just serves her in the simplest kind of way, just taking care of some things for her that she can't take care of for herself. Now that's, nobody even knows about it. In fact, she, she would probably be upset with me for telling all of you, but <laughs> it's wonderful. It's just a wonderful thing. And we have people like that in this flock. 
um, Mike and Nancy Moore. I've known Mike since seminary. He was way ahead of me. <laughs> but, but I've seen him, I've seen his heart and her heart over these years. They love people and they want to help people. I used to get a kick out of him always being involved in Awana. Even after we stopped having a regular Awana program, he continued to work with kids and he continued to give them their awards and so forth. And I used to think it was kind of hokey. I hate to admit that, but I did. I thought, man, why doesn't he let it go? <laughs> and then what I saw was, I saw the kids, their love for him that was so clearly manifested that they actually loved Mike and Nancy because of the service, because they were servants of Christ. And they poured themselves out for them. It was wonderful. And it really touched my heart. I'm so glad for, to be a part of the body of Christ like this, to be a part of this local congregation. We're small and we're weak, and we have a lot of needs that are bigger than us. But we have the greatest thing in all the world. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this church is filled with servants. We are all servants of Christ. In fact, that's one of the things I wanted to emphasize. In fact, I'll have you turn with me. Well, let me finish this. In verse 12, Paul tells us what his objective is. This should be your objective. This is what he said. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Why do we serve each other? So that we can see the effects. We can see people walking in the manner worthy of the God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. For people to, by their lifestyle, by their value system, they manifest the worth of God. They walk in a manner worthy of God to please him in all respects. It's wonderful. But then I, I yes, I have this right here. First Peter 4.11 says, as each one, how many? You know who that is, right? That's you. That's everybody. Every believer, as each one has received a special gift. Now the gift he's talking about is, Paul mentions 20 of them. Peter says there's two basic categories. There's speaking gifts and serving gifts. But every single believer, every single believer without exception has received a gift. Why? So that they can, they can live as servants of Christ. And so he says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it. Use it in serving one another. Because we're servants of Christ. We're here to serve each other. I love it when somebody is so bashful about needing, about asking for help with something, and then what they, they run into is somebody says, oh, I'd love to do that for you. I'd love to help you with that. And it's great, uh, I, the, the Gleasons aren't here today, I think they're on the road, but it was great to have a guy like um, Jeff Gleason because he can lift a refrigerator. I can still remember him carrying a refrigerator up a, st a staircase to help somebody move and he did it all by himself. <laughs> now, it's great to have people like that that have real strong backs and so forth, but all of you are servants of Christ. Now, baby, you have to say, you know, I can't lift anything over 20 pounds. That's okay. Because you're a servant of Christ. And God is going to open all kinds of doors for you to serve others. And that's why he says, don't, uh, don't, forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We come together in order to serve one another, sometimes by praying together, encouraging each other in prayer. 
Aren't you encouraged when you get together with a bunch of believers and they begin to pray and you begin to hear their heart as they talk to God and ask him for needs in their life? Isn't that a wonderful experience? That's what he calls us to do. In fact, in, in, in the book of Jude, it says, this is one of the ways you keep yourselves in the love of God. That is, you keep yourselves in a place where you can experience the benefits of God's love for you is by being a servant of Christ. Now, you're all servants. Maybe some of you, I don't, I don't think this. I don't know that it's true. Maybe some of you are not really faithful in, in being a servant. Maybe you think you should be the king. But let me tell you, you're not the king. The king is Jesus, but we're servants. We're servants of the servant. We're servants of the servants of the servant. Jesus Christ is the king, but he said, remember what he said in Mark 10, 45? This, is, this should be your memory verse. In Mark 10, 45, it says, Jesus says to his disciples who are trying to figure out who's the most important one among them, and he says, even the Son of Man, which is a title of his greatest title, he's the Son of Man. He's the one who came into the world in order to represent us and save us. He said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to serve us, and he did on the cross. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? that he has served you and he's called you to be a servant to others. We are all servants. And aren't you grateful for all the servants of Christ? Every, every local church is filled with people, or at least it should be, filled with people who know that they're servants of Christ. We are servants of Christ. Um, I, was, I was watching Ryan play the keyboard up there today, and I thought, isn't it wonderful? I've known him, you know, he's an elder. But I remember when he was born. He's the same age as my youngest daughter. And so I remember him as a little bitty kid. I'll tell you, he's always been a great person. He has been deeply impacted by the reality of Christ, and he's a servant of Christ. And uh, you are all servants of Christ. I just wanted to tell you that it's a, the most joyful thing you'll ever experience is simply living as a servant of Christ. God is putting people in your life. He's going to give you opportunity to serve him by serving them. It happens all the time. All the time. And so we want to follow in the steps of the Apostle Paul and the steps of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a servant. If you want to see how you should serve, Paul's a good example. He says in Matthew 11:1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So it's a good practice to do that. But you have the example of Jesus Christ. The most amazing, amazing one to imitate. That he loved you. How much did he love you? You all know, right? He loved you so much that he was willing to die for you. I don't have any other friends like that, I don't think. I've had friends that wanted to kill me, but I, I don't remember. It's, it's hard for me to remember exactly if there was anybody that ever. I had a friend, I have a real good friend named Phil Howard, and one time he said to me, you know, our kids really love it when you guys come over. This was years ago, and I said, really? That's great. He said, oh, it's not you, it's Judy. 
They love when Judy comes over, and you usually come with her. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I know exactly what you're saying. I agree. But isn't it wonderful to be among, to live among, to serve among, to worship among a people who are servants of Christ? They're servants of the servants of the servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the reason they were so willing and were so anxious to serve you is because when we serve you, we're serving Christ. That's your identity. That's who you really are. And so that's what I want us to be, a serving church. And we are. It's wonderful to see all these examples. I love it. So let's pray. Our Father, how we thank you today for the kind of Savior that we have and the kind of servants that you have made us. Um, most of us, I think, feel so inadequate, like we sometimes we're afraid to get exposed that we aren't as skillful, or we don't know all that we should in order to be servants of Christ. But I thank you, Father, that we are, and that we have the Holy Spirit who's able to open our eyes to the reality of who you are and who your Son is. And so we pray, Father, would you work in our hearts today? Would you give us a mindset of being servants of Christ, that we would look for the next opportunity that you give us to serve? We thank you that we have a Savior who didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We pray that we would be willing to lay down our lives for each other because of what he's done for us. Thank you for this time we've had together. Thank you for uh, making us members of the body of Christ. We are so blessed. We are so privileged. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.